and welcome to Become an Educator, the podcast that aims to explore the secrets to great teaching in our classrooms. I'm Darren Leslie, and each week I discuss things that will hopefully make an impact in your school, with guests from classroom teachers to head teachers and everyone in between and beyond in the education sector. Joining me on the Becoming Educated podcast today is Mark Jesnick. Mark is the Assistant Principal for Teaching and Learning at Art John Keats Academy in Enfield. And I first heard Mark speak on the Curriculum Thinkers Group within We Are in Via. And this led me to dive in to Mark's blog, Mark My Words. And this led to me asking him to come on the podcast. And today we chat about what Mark has learned most during the period of remote learning. I asked him to share what his school's remote lesson cycles consist of and why intellectual preparation prior to lessons is so important. Which then led us to talk about ratio and how um, ratio has been thought of for remote teaching and how the teachers at Art John Keats will bring this back into the the classroom. Which then led us to discuss means of participation and Mark explains how a focus on means of participation can raise expectations and support teaching. We also discuss what um, schools should prioritise with teaching and learning as we head back into the classroom. And I also tap into Mark's knowledge on their CPD programme, because as listeners may know, I have a little bit of an interest on continuous professional development. So let's dive right into what Mark has to say as we discuss returning to the classroom. Mark, thanks so much for coming on to Becoming Educated today. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Darren. Oh, it's my pleasure. As we'll, we'll, I absolutely love your, your blog that you, that you share on, on social media. And we're going to unpick a couple, couple, couple of those um, blog posts and, and tap into your thinking throughout the, the podcast. But before we, we get into the, into the meat of that, can you share with us a little bit about you and, and your career in education to date? Yeah, of course. So I think I went into teaching straight out of the university and I was probably your caricature of someone who didn't really know what to do with themselves. So fell into teaching as, as something to do. I got placed in a pretty difficult school uh, in northeast Enfield in London, right just inside the M25. So about an hour commute for me and thought I'll do this for two years and then I'll, I'll go and do something that I really want to. Uh, and instead, it's not an exaggeration to say that I fell in love with it. And, and I did five years there at that first school, uh, became a head of department there and then a lead practitioner. I'm an English teacher first and foremost, I should probably say, always the most important thing. Um, I then took some time to think about my next steps in education, uh, traveled a bit, um, did some fairly unsuccessful writing at that stage uh, and volunteered and worked for some, some educational charities And then came back in as a consultant for the Harris Federation, which is a big map in London, uh, working as part of their English curriculum team, uh, designing and implementing curriculum. So that was absolutely fascinating. Got the chance to to visit and work in most of their 26 schools across London. But I just missed the kids and I missed the day in, day out of working in, in a school and those relationships with staff and students. So I took on my current role at Arc John Keats, which is 10 minutes down the road from my original school. 
uh, that I started at as a 21-year-old uh, up in Enfield, and uh, I'm an AP there, an assistant principal responsible for uh, teaching and learning, which I think is absolutely the best and most important role in a school. I'd absolutely agree, and it's brilliant to hear how you've came full circle from beginning in Enfield, venturing off into different ventures and then coming back to, to Enfield to do what you know. So it kind of brings me to, to ask, ask you, Mark, why, why are you so interested in teaching and learning and why do you prioritise that? I think we talk in ARC about it being the most important driver of student success. And when you put it that way, that is the most important thing. And, and the statistic we often use, I think it's from a 2010 paper, is that the difference between a, a student being in class with a highest quartile teacher compared to a lowest quartile teacher is seven months within the academic year. And I just keep coming back to that and kind of have a personal mantra that if your life chances as a child can be determined by a timetabling machine, so essentially, if that timetable puts you in one classroom with one teacher compared to the next door class um, with a different teacher, if that can decide your future essentially as a child, then, then we have to do something about that. And that's why I'm just committed to, to developing and, and training staff as the biggest driver, as I say, for students to, to progress and, and achieve what they need to achieve. And that's why it's such a pleasure being responsible for teaching and learning, because that is absolutely the impact you can make. What a wonderful, wonderful driver. It, it's so interesting that you put it like that. The, the timetable machine can put you in a, a different classroom and depend on the, the quality of that that teaching, then it can have an impact on, on the outcomes. It's such a great insight, so thank you. Um, so throughout the, the rest of the conversation, Mark, we're going to start off with looking at your work that you've shared through your blog with remote teaching, and then we're going to kind of bring that back to returning to the classroom because as we timestamp just now on the, the 3rd of March, uh, teachers in England will be going back next week and, and teachers in Scotland will be following them in, in the coming weeks. So it's definitely at the forefront of our minds. So let's start by asking you, Mark, what have you learned most during this period of remote teaching? So I'd say the biggest thing I've learned is that teachers are incredible. Um, I've just been absolutely astounded at the adaptability and resilience and positivity of our staff and, and from hearing what's going on at other schools it's been the same uh, up and down the country. Um, I think they've done a, a frankly heroic job. I wrote in a blog a few weeks ago uh, and I really believe that. And we didn't do any uh, synchronous live teaching in the previous lockdown. So when this uh, school closure happened for January, we knew we needed to kind of step up and, and up our game. Uh, so it was it was nerve wracking to, to be plunged into that world of remote teaching and uh, be responsible for delivering a, a really great provision for however many weeks it, it could have been at that stage. But it was also really exciting. And I think that I went straight to, to Doug Lamov's book. We um, Arc used teach, teach Like a Champion a lot, so it made sense that we'd, we'd use his ideas on remote teaching. And, and I was lucky enough to see an early version of his uh, teaching in the online classroom and, and attend a webinar as well, which I know you have too, attended a webinar with Doug on this. And I just saw it as such a fantastic opportunity to revisit what the basis of teaching is because to deliver those great remote lessons where things are at their most challenging requires that absolute clarity on what good teaching looks like, how to deliver it and how to get students learning well. 
um, and therefore has a lot of impact when we do go back to the classroom, as you say, next week. I'll just give you one example. I think um, a term I'd never heard of until reading that book was pause points. Um, and that's just had such a huge impact on the way I think now about lesson preparation and planning. Uh, just the idea that we need to pause early and often to engage students, to, to preserve their working memory and, and build a culture of accountable engagement. And that's absolutely true in the classroom, but it was through having to think really carefully about how we deliver remote lessons that that came back to me as such an important concern. I think he puts it that, that we need to feel uh, students feel invited, involved and invested. Um, and yeah, absolutely, that's true of every lesson that we teach. So it's great to be able to to, to have had that time while we were remote to think about what good lessons look like and then think really deliberately now about how we transfer that into the uh, bricks and mortar classroom as, as Doug Lamov calls it. No, brilliant. And, and as you say, I've been on those webinars and, and they really are brilliant at helping you kind of transfer what good practice is in the brick and mortar classroom, as you say, into the remote teaching. And, and thanks for highlighting that. And it brings us on to, to, my next question, and you wrote some really fascinating insights on your blog about this, and I'm going to ask you to, to share a little bit. Um, could you share what, what your remote lesson cycles consist of, and, and also why intellectual preparation is important, which you've almost alluded to already? Yeah, so the, the two go together. Um, intellectual preparation is a term we use quite a lot. It's one of our priorities for the year. And it's about teachers thinking really carefully and being supported to think about what um, the key knowledge in a lesson and in a series of lessons looks like. Um, and so with remote lessons, where we've had to pair back quite a lot, um, while remote lessons are shorter, just as, as one example, we wanted to give people a really clear, concise, simple lesson cycle, we called it, um, or lesson structure that they could tap into. So it's, it's nothing revolutionary and, and that's very deliberate. It's actually incredibly simple. It borrows a lot from, from Rosenshine's principles, but, but pared down even from that. So we just want every lesson to start with a, with a do now recap so recap questions do now, new content delivered uh, with teacher exposition, some guided practice, and then some independent practice and checking of understanding or checking for understanding throughout um, in those pause points that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And that's been really helpful. And, and what brings that together, the lesson cycle and, and intellectual preparation, our kind of mechanism for that has been going back to double planning and just making sure that that teachers are thinking really purposefully about what they're doing and saying at each moment in the lesson and what the students are doing. Um, and that really works well within that structure uh, to be able to double plan uh, that cycle. Definitely is, and, and that double planning is, is another one that's in the, the Teach Like a Champion book. And it's it's great, how, can, I, can I then tap into how, how much is, have your teachers benefited from using that lesson cycle and, and really thinking deeply about the, the knowledge that the, they're going to put into that new content bit and also what they're going to recap. I think so I was in a, I was in a meeting with some other ARC teaching and learning leads uh, from our Matt and um, one of them called it an epiphany uh, for his staff. Uh, the idea that simplifying their lessons into a really simple structure um, would make them better, would make them more focused. And I think it comes down essentially to the fact that 
we're suddenly in this position where we're, we're not really worried about behavior, about disruptions. You know, there's, there's different kinds of remote behavior, but actually your lesson isn't really going to be uh, distracted. So you can deliver it exactly as you plan it. So that means that you might spend longer on planning it, but you can be so certain that if you've intellectually prepared properly and, and used that structure and made sure that every moment you're confident with what you're delivering and what the students are doing, um, then that lesson will go really well because there's no kind of external forces um, that are going to affect that um, when you're teaching through a screen. So it's really given people the opportunity to, to plan carefully, to refine their planning. Actually, we find that a lot of people who maybe haven't had to plan that much, they've been teaching similar lessons over a few years, or we've got quite strong centralized lessons, have had to think more carefully about it. And that's actually benefited them when delivering the lesson because they've got that, that much stronger sense of intellectual preparation uh, and knowing, as I said, the knowledge that they need to get across and, and how that will be acquired and applied and tested for. Right, such a such a wonderful insight into into the thinking of your teachers, and and I really liked it when I read the, the lesson cycle and how how you just broke it down so simply and the, that prior that way that you prioritise that that deep thinking of what we're learning. And it goes back to what you said at the, the start about the the timetable machine. If if your teachers are given the, the the right amount of intellectual preparation and thinking deeply about what they're going to teach you, then their exposition, their instruction, their modelling is just going to be, in questioning is going to be so much better. So uh, thanks so much for highlighting that. But now it brings me to ask you about how important has thinking about ratio been for remote teaching? And then can I add on to that? How will you take that back into the classroom? Yeah, so I think this is uh, so, so significant. And I have to thank you at this point, uh, Darren, you wrote a blog a few weeks ago on, on ratio in the remote classroom, which was really handily timed. And I guess some of your listeners might, might not be that clear on what ratio is, um, but it's been so seminal for me as a way of thinking about teaching. I just think about it in terms of that graph um, that I've posted on my blog a couple of times where you've got participation is the x-axis at the bottom um, so how much students are involved and then the y-axis going up is think so how, how hard students are made to think and your aim is to be in that top right quadrant where students are thinking deeply and participating well throughout the lesson um, and you can be confident if you're doing that that you have a really successful learning going on and we thought that would be incredibly challenging remotely. And, and it is because you don't know uh, how actively engaged students are. Even if they're logged on, you don't know if they're really participating. And so we've had to, had to think much more carefully about that ratio and much more deliberately and purposefully about building it. Um, and that's really positive for, for going back into the real classroom because those mechanisms I've talked about already, like double planning, uh, like pause points, are transferable and are central to building ratio and so yeah we're at the moment working on how we take what we've done well remotely um, and I think we'll, we'll probably come on to talking about means of participation but how we've um, taken how students participate in the lesson via the chat and via the class notebook and all these other remote ways and transfer that and correspond that with what happens in the classroom so that we can still visibly see their thinking and still make sure that they're participating really well. It's an exciting opportunity, I think. Well, thanks for, for sharing that on, on ratio. And it was interesting how you mentioned that um, it was a, it'd been a challenging for you for to make sure that while working remotely, your teachers were 
were able to make sure that participation was high and ratio was high. Can you can you speak to that a bit? How, how did your teachers cope with that challenge? So we thought really deliberately about means of participation. Um, that's a phrase I hadn't heard until until reading it in Doug Lamov's book, but it was the chapter in that book that really stood out to me. And actually, uh, to share a little anecdote, what stood out from the webinar that I attended with Doug Lamov and one of his colleagues, and I'm not sure if it was the same in the one you attended, but was it was a Thursday afternoon. It was kind of four o'clock. I was quite tired. I've been teaching all day. And within the first five minutes, I think I'd watched a video. I'd been in a breakout room talking to someone and I'd been cold called. And that's what he was practicing, what he preached. That was means of participation because straight away I felt so actively engaged, so involved. And the ratio of that training was so high. And so I really came back enthused from that to try and replicate that in my lessons uh, and then in what uh, I trained staff on to be able to do the same. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was our main way of, of dealing with it, because means of participation ensure that people are participating. It's obviously in the word, but also the whole point of means of participation is you're thinking about how to raise the think ratio as well, how to make sure that they're really engaging with the topic deeply with the content that you're delivering. So that's what we focused in a lot on. Certainly. And you wrote in your blog that through means of participation, it, it raised expectations and supported teaching. Could you share a little bit more about how it does that? Yeah, definitely. I think what I wrote um, is that I think that people, I got a lot of emails from, from staff saying how frustrated they were that only 20 out of 30 students were contributing in the chat. Uh, or that they'd done a quiz on forms and uh, half the class hadn't got past question five. And I thought, great, you've, you've got really high expectations there. You want more from your students. But actually, often in the real classroom, we don't expect that much. We let students get away with not uh, with being compliant, but not working that hard, not thinking that hard. And so that was quite refreshing because it's exactly what teachers should be doing. Um, and it's also very accountable. So we had five means of participation that we started with that we encouraged staff to use. We had a, we had a symbol for each that would go there on the PowerPoint so that students and staff were really clear what they were meant to be doing. And three of those were different uses of the chat. We had a speed question, students typing in as quickly as possible, a wait question where they, they pause and all pressed enter at the same time, and then cold call via the chat as well, where we just take some of their responses. Uh, and then we also had them working with pen and paper, which is obviously a means of participation, but, but very difficult to check um, and use of quizzes as well. And so we gave staff the means to, to try those out uh, to see how they'd go. And that's what I think led to the expectations that they suddenly saw there was that real accountability there. There was that ability to, to see students thinking visibly um, and they wanted more of that. And we've since added on the use of the class notebook on Microsoft Teams. So that's, um, that's similar to Google Classroom where you can actually see the students as they work uh, live. And also breakout rooms, we've only used them for Key Stage 5, but they're obviously another crucial method of, of increasing participation. So giving people those tools and those tools have led to people being in our school, we've got incredible, incredible buy-in from staff being really keen to experiment with them and push themselves and their students. And as I say, getting frustrated when they're not getting, getting those responses, which I think is so, so positive for remote teaching. But when we go back to be able to talk to students about how well they've done remotely and really sell uh, the contributions they've made and, and allow that to continue in the bricks and mortar classroom. 
Definitely. I love what you said there about the end, about kind of linking that frustration with staff and recognising that it was great that they have that high expectations. But also now you can use the the work that the students have done remotely when they go back to say you 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 were participated and were thinking so hard during the remote lessons. Now I want the same. Now we're back in the classroom. So exactly, I'll, yeah. I'll think about my means of participation and I want you to make sure that you are um, participating and thinking deeply in the class. So thank you for that. And it brings us on to... to one of your most recent blogs, and, and you wrote about the TLAC technique called Show Me. So can I, can I ask, why, why is Show Me an opportunity to build on those high expectations for visible student thinking and, and also collecting data and student accountability? Yeah, so Show Me, I think, um, is what all of those means of participation are in some way. Um, we did a little task for students when we came back just after the half-term break, um, with the staff, I should say, where we uh, where we asked them what would the equivalent means of participation be in a real classroom to a remote uh, lesson, and what we worked out is that the big three that we're using at the moment, the chat in different forms that I just mentioned, the quizzes, uh, the forms that we use for for mastery quizzes, and the class notebook, uh, the OneNote, all of those are examples of Show Me. The chat fairly obvious it's just like students holding up a mini whiteboard um, in class for their response but also the forms gives you data so so immediately and actually there have been so many lessons recently where I've put in a quiz not thought much of it looked at the results straight away seen that 75% of the class don't know that it's Banquo's ghost that Macbeth sees um, and thought wow I've got to teach that again straight away because that's a really big misconception um, and that's that's what Show Me does. It gives you that immediate data. It makes students accountable because they have to they have to share their thinking in a way that even great techniques like cold call don't, because you, you're never going to have the the data and the accountability of all of the class there. Um, yeah, and as I said, uh, and as you said in the question, makes their thinking really visible uh, because you can you can see if they're struggling to answer a question, maybe that question wasn't the right one, or maybe they don't have that knowledge. Whatever it might be, having those three things, the immediate data, the visible student thinking and the accountability is something that those remote means of participation have in a strange way made easier to see. And what we have to do when we go back is hold students to the same account. And I think that's really hard considering we're not going to be able to circulate because circulating and, and intentionally monitoring would be our main strategy to do that, especially during independent work. So we're going to, in the short term at least, do a lot of work with mini whiteboards, um, with students being able to, um, well, with us as teachers being able to check knowledge acquisition and application before, during and after tasks um, to create that same kind of visible thinking accountability and data collection that we got through the remote means of participation. Certainly, what a great task for staff to do to think about if we're using the, the chat or, or quizzes and and, and co-call and how does that translate into the classroom? What's similar in the classroom? It's wonderful how you've turned that show me around into using mini whiteboards in the classroom and it's just a, a, a great tool for, for teaching to, if you can't circulate the room, you can still see what the students are thinking because they're putting their thoughts straight onto the whiteboard and, and hold them up. So, so thank you for that. Um, it's worth saying as well that 
we use, have used many whiteboards previously, but in quite a kind of simple checking for understanding type way, here's a question, write the answer. But actually they're much more flexible than that. Things that we're gonna play around with and have trained staff on is actually why not get them to uh, write their opening sentence to an essay before they start writing it so that you can see straight away if they're ready for it and maybe share a couple of great examples with the rest of the class. Why not pause them halfway through a task and get them to answer a specific question that you know is more challenging, say a specific maths problem, or copy out a sentence of a history essay onto their mini whiteboard, hold it up, and you can get a real sense of how they're progressing and whether you can keep letting them go with that longer task or, or some reteach. So I think it has shown me has a lot of nuance to it and we're really looking forward to exploring that over the next few weeks such wonderful examples of, of checking for understanding there like how you kind of said you could put your opening sentence or stop them and ask them to contribute so you can well they're, they're they're working hard and they're writing you want to be able to access their thinking they can just pop it into the whiteboard and, and show you as the teacher what a great strategy for those especially as you mentioned well we can't circulate so thanks so much for sharing that um, and just to, to sum up some of those some of those ideas, we've, we've spoken through your, your lesson cycle, the importance of intellectual preparation. We've spoken about ratio, means of participation, and finally, their show me. And, and as we go back into the classroom, what should we prioritise with teaching and learning um, the most as, as we head back into that classroom? Urgency for me. Um, this is what we did after that first school closure when we came back in September. Um, I'm really, I feel really strongly we shouldn't talk to kids about lost learning. Um, but what we should do is make it really clear that every moment now is incredibly precious and uh, that we need to be really urgent uh, in everything we do. So that clearly looks different in different schools. But for me, it's around kids being really attentive and knowing what they need to do at every moment to progress with real pace um, in lessons. So we use a TLAT technique uh, STAR in terms of how we um, ask for our students to be attentive, how we manage transitions and brighten the lines. And then we do a lot of work with staff on, on their instructions. We call them what to do's and, and give them lots of time in CPD and in co-planning meetings to script and practice um, their instructions so that they're clear and concise and so that essentially students don't have any excuse for not getting straight on with what they with what they need to do and when you combine that with really thoughtful intellectual preparation you're going to be making the most of your time so we'll push again when we come back this time just that absolute urgency that no moment is wasted that uh, ratio is higher every moment and, and bring that all together with that as a priority but I love how all the stuff that we've spoken about in terms of the remote teaching, it, it's coming back, it's it's coming front and centre into going back into the classroom. And and I, and I love that anecdote from earlier about your, you mentioned your teachers having such high expectations of the yeah. remote teaching and bringing that back into the classroom through the through thinking about ratio, through the intellectual preparation. And you mentioned a few things in, in, in there, Mark, and, and I, I would like to dig that a little bit further just to close off this, this part of the interview. Um, I personally have a huge interest in, in CPD. Could you, could you share a bit of what the CPD offer looks like at Arc John Keats Academy for us? 
Yeah, of course. So we're really lucky. We have an hour dedicated to CPD a week. Um, and we also have a have a lot of inset provision. So we started the year with four inset days, which I know is is very unusual, um, and have had one a term since. So we have we have a lot of time to really go into training staff. And what we talk about is a CPD curriculum, um, which is a time I think I originally heard from from Mark and Zoe Enser, but just makes total sense that if we talk, when we're talking about student learning, we always talk about curriculum, but when we talk about teacher professional learning, why wouldn't we do exactly the same? Um, so we've planned that curriculum. I work very closely with, with my vice principal, Katie, uh, plan that curriculum um, for the whole year. And it's based on, on three priorities, which are climate for learning, intellectual preparation, which we've spoken a bit about and, and ratio. Um, but we've, we also realised that that has to be reactive, and especially this time more than any other with so much changing so quickly, that just makes sense. But what I always guarantee staff is that any CPD I deliver will be three things, will be needs driven, uh, the needs of the school will be research based um, and will be followed up on. Um, will be monitored and, and will be tracked and if we need to go over it again we absolutely will and, and that's part of being reactive in, in a positive way um, so yeah it's it's we're in a really privileged position where we have time to to work through that curriculum and, and react as, as needs be but I think that gives our staff the best possible chance and, and we're a school that and part of a network that believes strongly in staff development um, one of our pillars that our school's built on as part of our kind of vision is, is all staff developing into educational leaders and our CPD offering, our CPD curriculum is what we hope will help get them there. What, what a great vision and kind of brings us full circle from what you said at the start in terms of the quality of teaching in, in that seven months statistic which you shared, if we can... If, if you're training all your teachers and prioritizing their development, then that seven months is, is completely narrowed or obliterated and all your children are going to achieve great outcomes regardless of where they sit on the on the timetable. And I, and I really like your three priorities there in terms of needs driven for your school, research based, and that final one followed up on because there's nothing worse than, than doing some, some CPD and then it never to be discussed again. Absolutely, yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> we certainly have. So that brings us to the end of the interview section, Mark, and we're going to dive into the quickfire section, which is fully loaded questions, and I want your just initial reactions on them. But before we do that, can you please direct the listeners to your blog, which I'd really recommend they dive into because you, you explore some of these um, concepts in the blog and also where they can contact you on, on social media so they can discuss some of these points with you. Oh, thank you very much and yeah thanks for the opportunity to to kind of publicize it so I'm I'm on Twitter as at Jesnick Mark uh, so J-E-S-N-I-C-K uh, M-A-R-K and then my blog is and I'm really proud of the of the name of it is Mark My Words 1989.wordpress.com um, and I'd love any engagement with that um, for me feedback is absolutely a gift so any uh comments on any of those blogs would be massively appreciated so yeah thank you no brilliant no no thank you and, and as i say as i said it's a it's a great blog to, to read into and, and get some insights into the work that you do 
in your in your role for teaching and learning and the work that's been done at Art John Keats. So thank you so much. And, and I love the title. I love the title <laughs> of, of your blog. Um, so quick fire round. I've got three questions. Um, I want your initial thoughts from the heart, from the head on, on what you think, what you think for these. Um, they're big questions that we'll never, never solve in a podcast, but it's great to get people's thoughts. So are you ready for them? Yeah. So question one, uh, Mark, is, is what makes great teaching for you? Uh, I think it's joy. Um, I think you, I think you say this in the introduction to your to your podcast, or I've, I've heard it before. Um, and I say that because, as you as you just said in the introduction to the question, it's not something I can I can solve and kind of tell other people how to be joyful or even ensure it comes across in my own lessons. But I think when you see that that absolute joy and love for learning. Um, in lessons that's what great teaching is um, and it's connected with with subject expertise and real passion for for teaching and for a teacher's subject um, and you can really feel it when you see it and it's an absolute pleasure so I think if if we can see that that's what great teaching is to me. Brilliant what a, what a wonderful wonderful thing link back to to the tagline at the start of the podcast thanks so much Mark. Um, question two is, is what one thing would you prioritise to bring about great teaching in every classroom? I would prioritise intellectual preparation. We've obviously talked about that quite a bit already, um, but within the structures of the school. So I know you you um, attended the webinar that I did, the We Are In Beta one, with some of my colleagues, Nat and Adele and Holly, on our co-planning meetings, and that's time... Uh, that we timetable in for departments each week um, that isn't a kind of departmental meeting that's around admin and, and logistics it's around time that that is dedicated to intellectual preparation to making sure that staff know what they're teaching the key knowledge and and how they're going to check for that and you know that's not easy as we've grown as the school my school um, was only founded in, in 2013 so I started as, as just one year group and is now just a full full school now it's not easy to find the time for that um, and I know that a lot of schools will, will struggle with that but I think it's absolutely paramount there's almost nothing more important than, than you can do is, is to give people time to think through what they're going to teach and how they're going to teach it and have time with people teaching the same things to bounce ideas off each other to practice and to learn from so yeah that would be what I would prioritise, I think, intellectual preparation through the structures of the school being really dedicated to that. Right. Thanks so much. And a great example of, of what you're doing at Art John Keats and how you prioritise that time. So thank you. And if anyone wants to go back to that webinar, it's on the Curriculum Thinkers community and, and we are in beta and it was, a, right. a, a, I laughed, was furiously taking notes as, <laughs> as, you, as you were speaking. So much so much gold to, to take and, and magpie and try and bring back to to our own context. So oh, thank, thank you. you. And the final question of the quick fire round is if you could change just one thing in education, what would that be? Yeah, I've thought I've thought about this one before. I think it would be around the value of teaching or the value placed on teaching. And I don't mean that in terms of financially or or within society, although I think those things are important. I mean actually just the value of being a brilliant classroom teacher. I think I don't know if you've read um, Radical Candor by Kim Scott, and 
she talks in there in, in kind of American Silicon Valley companies about people being seen as superstars or rock stars and superstars being the people who are really ambitious and, and move up very quickly. And we see that in schools quite a lot. Um, but the rock stars are, are rocks in the sense of being really solid and they're just really great at their job and day in, day out, do it really well. And I don't think we appreciate enough in schools, just people who are those excellent teachers who day in, day out plan and deliver fantastic lessons. And I'd love it if that were appreciated more and, and it was seen as, as brilliant if you 15 years into your career were still teaching 25 lessons a week, uh, affecting that many kids and just doing it really, really well, um, instead of, of feeling that the natural progression is to move up to leadership where you obviously teach less um, and affect less kids directly. So yeah, I, I, again, I don't know how we'd go around doing that about doing that, but that would, I think, change so much and actually make a lot of people really happy. I certainly would love to spend more time in the classroom and, and have more chance to do that. Um, and yeah, that would be, that would be really valuable if, if that was, if that was seen, if those people were seen as the rock stars of, of schools that they deserve to be. I absolutely love that market. It's so true. Often we 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 take great classroom teachers and and remove them from the classroom into leadership positions. And I attended some workshops recently, and people kept coming on and, and saying, "I'm just a classroom mm-hmm. teacher." But like you said, there, there's nothing just about it. Classroom teachers are outstanding they are the bedrock of schools they are everything that we need and we need classroom teachers to be held of more values and, and be treated as the rock stars they are so thank you yeah, so much so much mark and um, that brings us to the end and um, thank you so so much for giving up your time this evening to chat with me for becoming educated i've taken a lot from it and i'm sure the listeners will as well thank you so much thank you darren i've really really enjoyed talking to you thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of Becoming Educate. As ever, I would be delighted to hear your thoughts and you can contact me via Twitter at DNLesley or via email. So that you don't miss out, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast. And while I have your attention, why not submit a review of the podcast wherever you get yours from so that many, many others can access Becoming Educate. I'll be back next week with another episode of Becoming Educated and I do hope to see you there.